Thank you for tuning in to the Trevor Talks podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we have the amazing privilege of speaking with Grammy-nominated artist and author Matt Hammett. Welcome to the show, Matt. How are you? What's up, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We're in the middle of a quarantine. You holding up well? Yeah. You know, it's uh, nice to get out a little bit. Tennessee is letting some people out now, so, you know, we're out of jail. Yeah, bit. we're out of jail. So you're in Nashville right now. How has the demographic changed there? Like, what have you been seeing that you've never seen before? Besides people in masks, something interesting. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's pretty much it. It doesn't seem like anything else is different around here. We've only had, I mean, I mean, I, I hate saying only, but it's been a few hundred deaths, you know, and yeah. that sounds terrible because I don't want anybody to die. But compared to the rest of the country, there's not that same level of paranoia because there's very few cases, uh, you know, and and it doesn't seem to be uh, quite as bad. So it is the only thing I'm seeing different is just kind of feeling that guilt if I pull up somewhere and I forgot my mask, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, no, you don't want to be the, the person that that's, seems like you're trying to be rebellious or not care about the elderly. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But you've been super busy during this quarantine season. You just released your new book, Lead Me, which is basically an outline of your life, which is phenomenal, by the way. Super proud of you. Super pumped that you were able to launch that. Can you tell us a little bit of your story? What inspired the book and the song and what just molded Matt Hammett into the guy he is today? Yeah. Um, boy, uh, that's a big, big question. Um I'm trying to think of the best way to make a long story short here. Um, so basically, when I was 16 years old, I met a guy named Chris Roman, who went to my high school. I went to a private Christian high school in Toledo, Ohio. And we just started jamming together, started playing in the chapel uh, together. I was playing at church, leading worship. So from the time I was 16, I was performing music, uh, using my gifts you know, on, on stages and also started learning that I loved to write music as well. And so me and Chris decided to start our own band. And in November of 1996, met Mark Groman and we started Sanctus Real. Mm. And so throughout high school, we, we performed. And, um, by the time we were 21, we were offered the record contract that, we felt was right for us from Sparrow Records. So at 21, I signed a record deal and I got married in the same year. And how this pertains, you know, to, to lead me, the book, which, which you were asking about, is um, this tension between career dreams and family dreams. I do feel like that's defined a lot of my my headspace. And, and, and it does for every uh, every guy who has a family, and even, you know, I'm sure guys like you, Trevor, like where we have these like personal relational aspirations to be, um, to, to bloom in our relationships and grow. And, uh, but we also have these career dreams that are a little more like pie in the sky, right? And we're dreaming about things and it takes us sometimes out of this face-to-face relational world. So it's always that struggle between what's in front of me that I need to take care of that God has put in front of me to tend to. For me, that was my family. And then what are these other dreams and visions that he's put on my heart that I I, want to chase? And so Mm -hmm. that tension and that struggle 
all the time of where I am versus where I want to be has, I think, really, I mean, been the main tension that I've written about um, all throughout Sanctus Real's history, of, and not even just who I am in relation to my family, but what kind of man am I, what kind of follower of Christ am I, who am I really versus the person I, I want to be. And so uh, that tension is really what lead me, not only the song was about, in the way of leading my family, but it's also what the book really is about. The The book steals from the heart of the song and expands on it in terms of, you know, what does it mean to be a man after God, a man after my wife, a man after my children, um, and, and really fight every single day to take real action steps toward what that means. Dude, that's phenomenal. And when Sanctus Real, when you guys came out with Lead Me, the whole point of the song was like, your wife, your kids, they need you, and they're asking you to lead me. But when Lead Me came out, it actually took you away from your family a whole lot more between touring with Winter Jam and everything else that came with it. Yeah. What was the turning point for you? Like, Tell us about when, the, when you wrote the song, when you presented it to your family, to the label, and then it ended up putting you on tour. Did that bring more stress or what yeah, happened? Yeah, for there? sure. It was uh, – Lead Me is – an irony when it comes to the song, because the song was written out of a heart to be a better, more present husband and father. And yes, the success of that song actually totally increased uh, my platform, our career. And the success of that song took me away from my family even more. And so the, I write a lot about that irony in, in the book, you know, like, I've got this hit song and I wrote this thing because I'm trying to be there. I'm trying to be, have my head more in what, what my, my kids and, and, and wife need from me. And here I am now having to like, I mean, it felt like at that moment, because of the success of lead me, everything was, yes, we've been waiting for this our whole career. And now it's like, we've got all this opportunity. So we've been wanting these opportunities. So yes, 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 let's take it. And then before you realize it, the yes to everybody else is running your life. And yeah. it becomes harder and harder to say yes to the people that are most important in your life because everybody else has already taken up your schedule. And then everything got way out of whack. That's when I really learned the real hard lessons of Lead Me. The song really took root in my heart, not just the desire to live it out, but mm. I had to make a choice as to whether I really would or not. Dude, that's phenomenal. Now, when it came time for you to break the news to the band, and I'm sure you and Sarah had the hard conversations that had to be had, um, what what did that look like for you? I know it had to take a toll on your mental health, like you have everything you've ever worked for, but at the same time, You've got kids and a wife that are depending on you, and you chose them, which yep. I commend you for that. A lot of people, I know of a lot of um, celebrities and artists that have chosen their careers over their family, unfortunately, and you chose to take the different route. And unfortunately, that's few and far between. So you chose your family. What do those conversations look like? Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, mental health. I know you're a mental health advocate. One of the times when I've, or the times when I experience 
most uh, depression in my life is uh, my struggle with codependency. And so like when my wife isn't happy with me, I, I like start to crumble inside. Right. And that's, that's my own weakness. Like I need to be able to accept that truth that she's not happy and basically be able to say, okay, what can I do to fix this? Keep my head on. But for me, it's just like my insides just, I'm a, I'm a shame based person. Yeah. So it's I almost feel like sh- you just feel guilty and your yeah. body shuts down. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel the shame of letting the most important person in my life down. And that was hard when I was away from her because I didn't know how to fix it. You know, when I was out on the mm-hmm. road, I didn't know how to make things right. And to a point degree, you can't totally make things right until you're home and face to face. And so there was definitely like in me unhealthy things that I started to realize that like, you know what? I am an artist. I love to make music. I love to perform, but I think I'm doing it in a context that's not healthy for me or my family. And I realized like, it's not healthy for me to be gone all the time. Yeah, I need to work on these issues and I need to have space and rest, uh, to just enjoy my life yeah, (laughs) and be home and talk these things through and see my wife face to face as she heals and I heal and we grow stronger as a family. And so it was a hard decision to leave Sanctus Real, uh, but it was the right one and I knew it and Mm. it came with blessing and it came with healing. You got to spend a whole lot more time with your family. I mean, you've had a really, really strong um, solo career as well. But I can remember now of just seeing the picture on your back wall with the album logo with the heart on there. I won that (laughs) album from 104.7 The Fish from like a call-in contest. And um, I saw Sanctus open up for her co-headline with Skillet at Winter Jam. And the funny thing about that is, I think it was like 2012 or oh something gosh, like yep. that. Yep. For King and Country was the pre-jam act. They were it was the just Joel exactly and Luke. Right. And I hated it. I hated their, <laughs> I hated their set. So and funny. nothing against them, but um, I just I was a little metalhead. I was there to see Skillet. <laughs> and um, they were just like, it's a fine, fine life, like just doing That's their hilarious. thing. And it's just so crazy to see how the tables have turned, like their careers, like gone crazy, berserk, oh, uh, which is totally off topic. But that was just a thought that I had. So yeah. if it tells you anything, Sanctus Real got started in 1996. I popped out of the womb in 97. So That's hilarious. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. You know, Skillet, the, we've been doing stuff with them forever, man. Yeah. Um, you that's know, like a train that's not going to stop anytime soon. I remember playing shows with Skillet in 1996. <laughs> that is crazy, dude. Yeah, and, uh, and John was was cool enough to actually uh, review my book on the Cooper stuff last week. Really? So, yeah, that was pretty cool. I, oh, I, I mean, awesome. we've been friends forever, but it was neat because, you know, he's, got, he's built such a massive platform. So I was yeah. so grateful that he took the time to do that. It was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. So you've been doing a lot of solo shows with um, Kurt Cameron. How'd that start? Yeah, so once I kind of made the decision to to step away from the band and be home more, I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, it was like... How am I going to provide? Yeah, I mean, how am I going to do this? And so uh, it was really cool. I just kind of opened my hands and God really did provide. Uh, one of those things was family life, uh, asked me to start speaking at their marriage conferences. And then, um, Kirk Cameron called 
And that was crazy. You know, I was like, man, I met Kirk here and there, but when I found out he was doing kind of a new uh, version of his live events, that was a really cool vision. I was like, all right, you know, this sounds really cool. And he said, Hey, come, come do music. Actually. Well, he asked me to come out to his house and spend a couple of days with his family and just hang out. And, and he wanted to make sure like his wife and his kids had a good feeling about me being part of what they do. And I was like, Hey dude, I actually really respected that. Cause in the music industry, it's like, well, let's look at the charts. Who's doing really well. He wanted to come on tour with us, send him yeah. an yeah. offer. Right. Yeah. And I was like, it really spoke to me. Cause I'm like, man, this guy cares so deeply about making sure there's a personal connection and uh, a kindred spirit with everybody he works with. So yeah. it, we hit it off. It went great. And uh, now for three years, uh, I've been doing uh, about uh, close to 30 events a year with Kirk. Sheesh. And were y'all on tour when quarantine hit? Yeah. So we were actually headed – I'm trying to think exactly where we were. Uh, I remember we were out like that first week people started canceling events. Mm. Yeah. And – the, we were a smaller tour compared to, you know, arenas. So um, it was funny because I'm like talking to all my friends who are canceling these huge tours. And they're I was like, out with Mercy Me. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. I was like on the phone with bad. Bart basically. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, we're canceling, which is so funny because he actually told me he talked to Vice President Pence about it. <laughs> the day before like, they canceled, they put out an announcement on Instagram, we're not canceling. And then... The next day, I wake up in my bunk. We're in Pensacola, Florida. So just to set the stage for you, the day before, I drove all the way from Little Social Circle, Georgia, five hours to Nashville to get on the bus to go to Pensacola. I wake up in Pensacola the next day. Tours canceled. So for two hours after that meeting, I hopped on a plane from Pensacola, have a layover in Atlanta, which is only an hour away from my house, just to get back to Nashville to drive five more hours. So it was yep. – nobody I knew it was coming at all. It was like <laughs> – yeah just a light switch went off and everybody's yeah, like, well, we're done. It was really weird. It, uh, it did do that. Yeah. Cause I was asking, I was asked them, you know, and, and cause just, uh, I don't know. I like to see what they're up to and what they're yeah. doing about it. Just so as we make our decisions. And, and it was funny cause it did Bart went from like, I'm not really sure to, Hey, wait, we're having a meeting to, Oh, but we're canceling the whole thing. I was like, dang. And then our tour, I told them, I said, Hey, we're there. Bart told me he's canceling. Um, and, they were like, well, we're a smaller tour, so we're going to keep going. And then it was so funny because that week when we decided to keep going, it was like things started getting smaller and smaller and harder and harder. And they were like, we're just going to keep going. And I was like, I don't know, man. In the span and- of two days, dude, arena tours shut down all the way. The day after I got back from Nashville from Mercy Me canceling, one of my friends was doing a smaller show in Atlanta and I went out and there, it was still packed, but that was the last event that was allowed to happen in Atlanta. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I got to the point where I think finally everybody was like, okay, like, yeah, even small events. I mean, we were getting mm. to the point where it was like people, we realized moving forward, we would have to do an events, be doing events for like 50 to a hundred people limits. Yeah. And we were like, this is ridiculous. There's no way. I got to the point where I was like almost ready to say, Hey, you guys can keep going. I think I should go home. And, and then they called it. So it was, uh, it, it was, it was just the right time. They, they didn't, I don't think they waited too long, but if they would have waited longer, it would have been like, all right, gents carry on <laughs> deuces, bro. <laughs> yeah. But dude, it's phenomenal. You've been out, you've actually, um, got a music project with your son Bowen. Can you give us a little outline of how that started kind of his heart condition and 
essentially the heart behind Bowen's heart. Yeah, man. So in April of 2010, right after Lead Me, well, Pieces of a Real Heart with Lead Me on it came out, we found out that Bowen, our son, had a severe heart disease where only uh, one side of his heart had developed. Mm -hmm. And so we had two major open heart surgeries with him, uh, one in September that year after he was born, and then one in the following February. It was crazy because I actually couldn't go to the Grammys. It was our we were nominated for a Grammy that year, and I couldn't go because I was in the hospital with Bowen, mm. and um, and so it was a crazy time, you know. And and even the day of his first surgery, I remember being at his bedside as he was recovering uh, after he actually had had a cardiac arrest, which was mm. we almost lost him. That yeah. was the day that Lead Me went number one on the radio. So it's like, I mean, you want to talk about the polar opposite. A yeah. feeling of like, wow, and I'm going to for Grammy. Okay, I can't be there because my son's having heart surgery. Okay, he almost died. And I, our song went number one. I'm happy about it, but I don't care right now because I want my yeah. son to live, right? Yeah. All the things you wanted so bad, you realize how important they really are. Um, and so Bowen definitely became a big part of, of our story, you know, and um, and in that battle for just him to survive. And uh, he's... Gosh, he's come a long way. He's nine years old now. He had his third major open heart surgery mm -hmm. last July. Yeah, and, and he was running around like a wild man in, what, September of last year? They were yep. running around Bridgestone like... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, he's doing really well. And we actually, uh, I think you know this, but we made a documentary called Bowen's yeah, Heart. with uh, Novell Films, yep, right? So... Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're working on distribution for that. I had a meeting today, and we'll see what happens. You know, you never know. Film world is a really weird world. If we don't get if we don't get distribution uh, through a major company, we'll just release it ourselves. So yeah, um, but we're really proud of it. Uh, the work that our team did, and most of all, we're proud of our buddy Bowen. You know, because he's really um, been an inspiration to a lot of people in the way that he's walked through, even as, as a little boy these surgeries and been a real light and an inspiration. So we're excited to tell that story. If people want to watch the trailer, they can go to bowensheart.com. It's the splash page up there. They can hit play and, and watch the first look trailer to kind of get a glimpse of what, what, you know, it's going to be like. Yeah. When did you realize that he had a musical ability? Yeah. So, oh yeah, that was part of your question and I didn't even address it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you're a real pro at bringing me back around, man. <laughs> so, my job. Um, yeah. So, uh, Gosh, it's crazy since he was in diapers, man. He Since he could stand up pretty much, he was grabbing things and pretending like he was daddy, playing and singing. And it was really cool for me because I was like, oh, man, it's awesome. Like, you know, to see that your your son looks up to you. And, yeah. um, and then just all throughout his childhood, we just realized, like, you know, he had, even though his he didn't have the define or refined skills of course because he's a kid he had the the swagger and like the the uh, the personality and to just sing and rock out you know it was like mm. really cool to watch him develop that and now he's got to the point where he can sing so well and he's had all these cool song ideas that we developed and we did do that ep before yeah. his surgery last year 
And, and you um, had a launch party for that. You had a yep. was it a release concert at a skating yep. rink? Yeah, we did his uh, CD release party at a skating rink before uh, maybe six. Uh, no, it was only a couple. Weeks. It was a couple weeks before his surgery, and so it was. Uh, and that's actually in the in the documentary. <laughs> we actually have that in there, and uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. He's. I'm excited to see what happens with his life. Dude, that's phenomenal. So your son's walking in daddy's footsteps. What about the rest of the kids? They, it's funny that when someone has multiple kids, they all have different personalities. Some of them are going to be like dad. Some of them are going to be like mom. Some of them are going to wreak havoc. Like you never know what's going to happen. But with you being at home for the majority of the time now, how has that family time been beneficial to you? I'm sure it's been beneficial for your mental health, being yep. able to stay proactive in your family, spending time with Sarah, just being able to be there, to be a dad. You don't have to be a rock star when you're at home. You don't have to wear a leather jacket and some tight jeans. Like It's just Matt and his kids and his wife. It's beautiful. Yeah. How has that beneficial for you? Yeah, man, it's been good. And and for us, um, you know, well, to answer the, the first question about the kids – um, we actually do highlight every kid in the documentary mm. and kind of go through and show how, you know, each one of our kids has brought such a unique and special gift to our family. And, um, you know, you're right. They're all different and they're all equally special and their own way, what they bring and how they define this family. And it's, it's been really neat to just, yes, to have time with them and spend time with them. Um, overall, it's been not much different for us in the sense that we homeschool anyways. Of course, I haven't been out on the road at all. I usually go out you know, and travel a few days a month. And not being gone at all has definitely been, in a lot of ways, very good. It's been very restful. But uh, it's also at, at times like when you have six people in a house, there are those times where everybody's like on each other, you know, you're trying to manage the kids are like annoyed with each other. Uh, Sarah and I have had a few of our own little blow ups here and there, you know, but it's like overall it has been a huge blessing man, mm. to be together. And it definitely, I, a lot of people I'm talking to, it makes you reevaluate again, just your life and family and and priorities. And so I think we're going to see a real shift um, in our country with a lot of people and them realizing that they can spend more time at home, that they need to spend more time at home. Sadly, we're also going to see, um, you know, uh, people are saying we're also going to see a rise in divorce, which mm. is really sad. And my heart really goes out for people who are isolated and alone. Um, or people who are struggling with abuse and domestic violence in their homes and they've had to be quarantined. So I know it's not all happiness, you know, for everybody. Um, but man, I, I hope that we, one of the things about the documentary and the things that we do, even the songs I'm writing right now, um, it's just hopes that we can somehow bring light into those people's world, you know, and, speak into their situations and, and speak hope. And that's the beauty of the digital age, right? You get to do, Trevor gets to talk and, and <laughs> Trevor gets uh, to run his mouth <laughs> and, and speak life into people wherever they're at through this strange portal we call the internet. Yeah. And I would even credit the pandemic for 
this podcast wouldn't have happened. I would have still been out on tour um, if this yep. pandemic wouldn't have happened. So, like, the only pe- Sorry, reason people on, are here. Hey, hold our- on one second. My kids, my kids just ran in. Um, hold on one second. No, you're good. Oh, okay, okay. They're they're. My, so I just heard Sarah say, "Daddy's on a call." <laughs> <laughs> all right go ahead sorry no but so um, you said you said yeah. the pandemic's actually like you like helped like sparked this podcast yeah so the podcast started out of the pandemic i've always wanted to do it but i just never had time and so out of this pandemic we relaunched the clothing brand um got a whole lot more video content out there for that and have been able to start this podcast and partner with heart support which is a really cool nonprofit that is geared towards mental health and just trying to make some noise in uh, not only the music industry but just on social media and in real life we're working on a project right now to where i just want to get like those little signs like you'll see people put out for like prayer miles and inviting people like almost look at yard sale signs with uh, our branding on it just to say like you are loved you have purpose suicide is not the answer and just putting them in my small town like I was really hit this past year with um, my the high school I went to. We we had never like seen suicide happen in our small town in the high school at all. Wow. And two people back to back. It was within the span of a week and a half. Two kids took their lives, and I was. It really convicted me because on a global platform, I've been able to reach hundreds of thousands of people, but in my town, like the town of only 3,000 people, I hadn't really been involved in a local church there or even gone to the high school to offer support to kids that are struggling. So it was like, what can I do in my community? And I think that brings me to the next topic I wanted to talk about is how can people make noise in their communities? Like you don't have to be making this global mission of a calling happen instantly start where you are your community's worth investing in what are some ways you've invested in nashville or um even use the platforms that you've been given to bring light to mental health or any anything really yeah i think a lot of it is being willing to start conversations about it with your neighbors honestly to talk openly and create a safe environment Um, um but i think it's really important um yeah, to use the platform that we've been given. And I think of that in two different ways. Um, it is important, you know, for us to use our gifts on a, on a bigger level, wherever we can, online and speak up about um, just toward, to, to mental health and spiritual health and encourage people that they're not alone in what they're going through. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the, the big picture, right? Uh, and out in the world and how we shine a light. But I think what, what I've been struggling with is how much do I focus on that versus how much I'm focusing on where I'm planted in the world and the people mm-hmm. right around me. Sometimes sure. it's easy for me to think about um, like what I can do through podcast or music or video or social media, which is all good, but it's not good if I'm neglecting the people who God's put right in front of me, like my sure. neighbors, you know? And one way that Sarah's really challenged me, actually, uh, and, and we've always been friends with our neighbors wherever, wherever we've lived, and we're all pretty tight-knit. We all know each other. But um, she's always encouraged me to go get out more when the guys are hanging or the families are hanging. Go out more. Be involved more. Um, and I have been challenged by that because I'm like, man— um, it's, it can be easy to 
to open our hearts to people when we feel like it or when we want to. But um, I've noticed even for me personally, you know, cause you know, I struggle with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that when I do go out of my way, when I most feel like isolating myself, when I go out of my way to be with people, to engage people, it like pulls my head into rea- the reality of, uh, of relationship and what I'm designed for. And it kind of pulls me out of that emotional cloud that I can get, that isolation can put me in. And so, um, yeah, it's super important, not just for other people's sake to be vulnerable, but it's important for our own sake to be vulnerable with people and start more conversations. Um, mm. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot Which, about that. That's exactly how we met. Um, it was on Twitter. I think I put up something about uh, being anxious about a festival that I was emceeing um, the next week. And you responded. We DM'd back and forth a little bit. But where we really connected was uh, Jared Wilson passed, a good friend of mine. Uh, he started Anthem of Hope, really amazing mental health advocate. Unfortunately, passed away last year. And you sent me the a song that you had not released and that was like i needed that in that season like i was mourning the loss of a friend just in a bad spot um and you were there and then we ended up getting to meet at the what was it the show we did in nashville over at the top golf yep. venue rocket town or not rocket yeah, town dude. i'm sorry at top golf yeah top golf top golf i was thinking yeah. of rocket town you know long the cohen looks like rocket town <laughs> my in my mind it's rocket town <laughs> Didn't Rocket Town get hit by the tornado? I don't know if if Rock. I don't think. No, I don't. Something there. I don't think Rocket Town did. It's that area down there, but it's a little east of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think Rocket Town actually got damaged. If it did, I think it was pretty minor. Sure, sure. But dude, yeah. But that that show at Top Golf was awesome. Actually, get to hang out a little more. Um, yeah, you know, and just recently, this is really weird, man. Just recently, uh, you know, Darren Patrick, you probably heard about him as well. Uh, yeah. You know, mega pastor there at yeah. Seacoast um, who'd been through some difficult seasons of life and to end up taking his own life, father for pastor. And the crazy thing about both those is like, I, you know, you were friends with Jared. And for me, I wasn't friends with Jared, but I knew Jared and we had actually DM'd on Twitter the week, like a few days before it Mm -hmm. happened. And it just like, man, that just like hit me so hard. Um, And then the crazy thing is, is Darren, I found out Darren took his life. And two weeks before that, I heard from him for the first time in years. Mm -hmm. And, And he texted me and I was it was one of those times where I just got a bunch of texts and I was in like the cave being creative and I literally just forgot to write him back. And he yeah. said, Hey, let's connect. And mm. when I heard, I just, it would be very selfish of me to think, Oh, well, you know, I me not getting back with them has anything to do with it. It doesn't, but, but I can't help but think could that connection in some small way have made a mm. difference. You know, maybe not. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give myself that much credit. He has a lot of friends. He has a lot of people in his life. Yeah. But you just can't help but ask that question. Like, what if I would have reached out and somehow in some tiny way been a light somehow? Yeah. Um, And, you know, 
that's in God's hands. I know we don't control everything, but man, I just seeing more and more leaders and pastors over the past few years, it's been like a wave of, yeah. of, 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 uh, of depression and suicide. And, and I just, uh, it, it grieves me, man. And, and I, I want to say anybody out there, like, I think you do this so well, just letting people know like that you're not alone when you have dark thoughts or scary thoughts or, or you feel like maybe the world would just be better off without you. Mm. You know, people would look at me and go, Oh, you're, you're crazy as a father for the beautiful wife. Um, to think that, you know, maybe some days they'd be better off without you. How could you think that? That's the thing. It's like mental health and depression then those thoughts, they are irrational. Mm. Yeah, of course, like <laughs> no one would choose to think that or want to think that or want to believe that. But, but there, but until you've experienced, you know, people don't understand, like, like you, you start to believe those thoughts if you don't actively, uh, combat them. Mm. And so, or, you know, and, and, and what you're awesome at is if you don't give people a voice to just, say something so they know they're not alone and someone can say hey you're gonna be okay um it's you're normal you're gonna be fine and uh you can get help yeah it's it's one of those parts of your life where you just have to realize like these thoughts don't make you crazy but what it does do it opens up the door for conversation that needs to be had like okay you're struggling with depression you're struggling with anxiety, talk about it. If you don't talk about it, nothing can come from it. If uh, you hold it in, eventually you may hit that point in your life that you never thought you would have, whether it's suicidal thoughts or just feeling so lost and so afraid when it could have been prevented. But for me personally, I struggled with anxiety for two years before I got help with it. So I I didn't do anything for two whole years. I deleted all my social media. I didn't tour. I didn't do anything. I just went and got a job with AT&T and got obsessed with it, became number one in the U.S., was able to buy a house at 19, thought I was happy, but I was depressed. Um, you can't really – I mean you can run from your calling, but it'll it'll come back to you. It will come back to you. So for anybody that's listening that's in a season of feeling like you were in that position that I was in, you are – thinking that you're living the dream, but you're not chasing your calling at all. It does get better, but it's going to take you going out of your way to seek therapy, seek medication, seek uh, professional guidance from a pastor or a counselor or even a psychiatrist that can help you. You can't get help if you don't ask for it. If nobody knows you're struggling, how are they going to know how to help you? So that's the whole point of this podcast. That's the whole point of my platform. Like, not necessarily to get you in a therapist's chair, but to open up that dialogue and conversation that there is hope. You're not crazy. You're not stupid. You're not the only person struggling with this. There's always going to be somebody that can relate with you, and your voice can change somebody's life, whether they're suicidal, anxious, or maybe they're not even showing symptoms yet. You're stronger than your symptoms. There's no way that you can go without handling these things if you want to live a long and healthy life. You have to address these things. And luckily, in this day and age, it's more talked about than it ever has been. But I just look back at the other generations that just hid it in the closet. I don't see how they did that. Um, one thing that my dad says a lot is, this generation's too emotional. And it's like, 
Well, they're learning to cope the right way. Yeah. Yep, that's right. That's right. So, You're exactly right. Now, when it comes back to you and living on a platform, how has anxiety kind of put a damper on things in the past and how have you overcame that? Yeah, man. I I just yesterday, man, was like feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> I had that feeling like I'm never getting on social media again. I'm deleting everything. Yeah, I, every you day. said that about when you said that, I I literally was laughing inside because I was like, dude, I just was there yesterday. Like I'm get, I'm 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 just totally going off the grid. And it's not even because of any one thing. It's just this feeling like you just wanna like not deal with I mean, for me, part of it is I find myself comparing myself too a lot of times to like other people. Um, or getting distracted or drawn into like the endless, mm. just the scroll of gaze. Death. Yeah. And you all of a sudden you, you went on to check your email and before you know it, you're like, where did the last 40 minutes of my life go? You know? Yeah. And, uh, you just realize you're getting like sucked into this hole and, and then you start seeing people arguing about politics and, um, yeah, it's just people, people being drawn to things that are like so useless and and you start to lose faith in people <laughs> lose faith in the world and it starts just like causing that anxiety inside of me to be like i just can't even be on here i'm just gonna cut it off but like you know that's not the right thing to do not sure it's it can be good to take a break mm. absolutely and maybe there is a point you know if if it's a healthy way to take breaks like that or maybe cut off from certain aspects of social media. Um, but definitely that having to be on social media, uh, at, for, as part of my platform, um, can at times be challenging just because of those distractions. Sure. Dude, that's phenomenal. And thank you for being vulnerable with us. When you struggle with anxiety, what are some ways you cope? Um, you know, for for me, I honestly like really try, and, and I know this sounds so cliche, but it's what we as Christ followers do. When I feel overwhelmed, I do make a conscious decision to lean harder into being closer to God's word. Like even if I don't feel like it, I'm like, man, I'm gonna, I'm going to read more scripture and take that time I need to just breathe and, and I mean, one thing about quarantine is like, man, if I'm feeling anxiety or whatever, I can just like go sit on the front porch and like in the rocker by myself and just pray or I can get up early and, and just spend a little bit of time just in the quiet before all the kids are running around and have needs or, you know, and so I do try to find those quiet moments where I can just breathe easy and not have to think about anything, but just, rest and be still mm. those moments are are really life-giving for me yeah and i think there's just some aspect i think the reason meditation is so attractive to people is you're just being still with yourself but it doesn't necessarily have to be a meditation it can be just sitting in god's word breathing in fresh air and just feeling like you've overcome this, like taking that breath of fresh air and just relax your mind, relax your body and just breathe out negative energy. 
negative energy. Like I've found fresh air, nice walks, runs, working out has helped a ton with my mental health, especially when we're out on the road. It's like I have to stay active or I'm going to have panic attacks. Like, yep. Eating healthy, which is hard eating to healthy do. Eating healthy is huge. Yeah. It's like if you're putting crap in your body, you're going to feel like crap. So those yep. are all crucial, crucial things for mental health. And if somebody's listening to this right now and they're struggling with anxiety or depression or maybe they're just having a bad day, what would Matt Hammett say to them? Yeah. Man, uh, I really believe with all my heart and, and – just Psalm 139, I believe it, I really do, um, that, you know, every single one of us is born and created by God for a purpose, that we don't have to always understand it fully. We there we have to embrace the mystery of life and why certain things happen sometimes. And um, actually, it's funny, I was just thinking about that story the other day, uh, about in John chapter 9, and there's the boy who's blind from birth or the guy that's blind from birth. And that whole question of like, well, why was this guy blind? You know, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Or it's like people automatically assume that like, well, somebody did something wrong for this kid to be born this way. Mm. I've always thought about that in terms of like Bowen, you know, in his heart. And all we've been through with that. And then what Jesus says about it, um, which is, uh, you know, well, he was, Basically that, that, you know, after this guy was healed or when he was healed, Jesus said that he was born that way for God to be glorified. Mm. And that is a really crazy concept to think, well, why would God work like that? And, you know, I don't know how to understand why, but I know for a fact that this struggle that this man and his family had had was ultimately meant to be used for God's glory. And, like I said, I've looked at that for Bowen, but then recently I realized like, well, what about me and my brokenness? You know, like I'm blind in a lot of ways and maybe my blindness or my anxiety or my brokenness is meant to be used for God's glory mm. in some way. And, and I think if I can remember that, they'll say, well, why, why am I created this way? Why do I feel this way? Well, somehow or another, I do believe that that God will take, you know, what the enemy intends for evil, just like in Joseph's life, mm. and that he'll he'll use it for good. That's what he does. And um, even when we can't see it, I would say, man, God is working good. And that sounds – and sometimes, and I'll also say to people, there aren't any easy answers. I can't just say that to somebody to have them feel better. You know, like I know that. Um, and that's when I always tell people, like, if you know nothing else – no, your life is valuable and that you're not alone. Mm. You're not alone. That's beautiful. And for the worship leader who thinks they're going to be the next Matt Hammett or for <laughs> a 16-year-old that's writing music and wants to begin to pursue their career, what are some things you wish you would have known before you started? Well, I always thought that – uh it's funny because I always gained my idea of success by looking at what mm -hmm. someone else's successful path was. So I did love lead worship. And I remember seeing as, as I was coming up, even with Sanctus Real and, you know, I knew Chris Tomlin 
uh, in the early days when nobody cared about his worship songs. <laughs> and, and, but then once he started blowing up, you know, it was easy to like look at Chris and go, oh man, wow, I want to be like that. And then, you know, every worship leader does look at that stage and that platform that he has. And it's like, that's what success is as a worship leader. Mm. Or I was looking at the Foo Fighters as being a guy in a band, you know, back in the yeah. you know early 2000s and going like, man, that's that big rock band on that big stage rocking out and everybody's like going crazy and having fun and loving the music. That's success. And I realized over time that success is living open-handedly and not comparing yourself to anybody else and understanding that your version of success is very likely different from anyone else's. Mm. And um, it, Mike Donnie always from 10th Ave always has said this. And I just think that it's, it's a message message worth repeating, which is bloom where you're planted. Bloom where God has planted you. God has planted you where you are right now. So bloom there. And if you're faithful with little, he might give you more. Mm. doesn't mean he's going to give you the same stage Chris Tomlin has or the same yeah. stage that, you know, Casting Grounds or ACDC had, you know, or whoever. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know why I said ACDC. I mean, uh, uh, actually, Casting someone just Crowns mentioned that today. That is why. If you were to put <laughs> Taylor them Swift. Together, there you Taylor go. Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever. It's like, you know, that's, it's, it's like, he might give you that. He might not, but, but that success is, is really flourishing where he has put you. And then maybe he plants you on that stage someday. Um, but I don't think he can plant you there until you've flourished and been faithful where he's put you now. Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Matt Hammett, formerly of Sanctus Real. You can check out his new book, Lead Me, wherever books are sold and be sure to go follow him on social media at Matt Hammett, as well as check out bowensheart.com for more information on that docuseries, as well as his new EP. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. I love you so much, and uh, hopefully we can talk soon, man.
This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for the Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.